Hello, everybody. It's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. Hey, you. You know what? I, you know what's become like a dirty word for me in the past uh, two days is Happy New Year. So I'm not going to go there. I just can't take it anymore. Um, Let's just get right on into this year. But I did get two weeks off, so I'm just back now. And uh, I'm all fresh. I uh, haven't – I've missed you. Actually, what was really interesting for me is that I've been doing this for like uh, just six months. And I actually really emotionally miss this connection. So um, before we get started, I have such an amazing guest here today. Um, fast, I think this will be really – I mean this is going to be really interesting. But uh, to you, not just to me, to you too. But before I get started, I, I want to let you know something about Radio Free Brooklyn. Um, if you like what you're hearing and Radio Free Brooklyn is great, we are doing so great. I just have to tell you the numbers. Like we had a meeting and it's incredible like how listenership and people enjoying the station are going – it's going straight up. The numbers are incredible. Um, but if you'd like to continue supporting independent community media, we hope you'll consider – supporting us with a small monthly pledge. We've had a fantastic few months, but we need your help in order to stay on the the air. You can pledge as little as a dollar a month. That's just $12 a year, the price of a cocktail. Wouldn't you just buy us a drink just once to keep local media alive? There are great premiums at every donation level, hats, totes, bags, books, t-shirts, mugs. You can even have the Radio Free Brooklyn studio named after you for a year. That's fucking incredible. The Lisa, maybe I'll do that. I love that idea. Check out, um, it's Patreon, which is a great, um, um, it's a great, it's a great app. You guys should check it out. P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And it's RadioFreeBrooklyn.com. Pledge. Check out all the great premiums. We've got so many things planned for this and why. Media education, literacy workshops for local teens, new media showcases for Brooklyn bands, and live broadcasts of local festivals and events. Events. I don't want to annoy you all day and night with annoying pledge drives, but Radio Free Brooklyn does depend on kind contributions from our listeners. I mean, I offered uh, honestly, folks. This is I, I offered to try and get a sponsor, and they were like, "No, this is radio. We don't want to be uh, beholden to sponsors." So, uh, if you, you you know you Bernie Sanders voters, come on. Is there a doctor in the house? Hey, folks. So I um, have this really um, special guest on today, Mike Kaplan. Mike, say hello. Hello. I am Mike Kaplan, the very special guest. Thanks for having me. And he is um, a ridiculously funny and uh, unique comedian. He has a very special voice um, in his work. He is extremely smart and interesting. 
He he has a lot of uh, TV credits. Uh, you know, all Letterman, Conan, whatever, right? All those, uh, yes, every I've, single one. I've been on every Letterman episode and <laughs> every Conan episode. I am David Letterman and Conan. And he's also on. He's been on. He's now will be able to say he's been on Brooklyn Free Radio. Finally, Radio Free Brooklyn. I know we've been waiting for this, but also. Um, He's also been a finalist on Last Comic Standing and America's Got Talent, which is kind of an unusual combo, do you think? Uh, definitely not everybody does all of the things. I mean, also, there are some things that I haven't done. I don't want to say that I'm everywhere, unless I'm talking about uh, metaphorically as we are all one. So whatever you've done, I've done, and whatever I've done, you've done. Okay. So anyway, but here's something that's particularly interesting about uh, Mike and myself, and that's MYK. C. Q. Q. (laughs) Uh, Can I say a a quick thing about letters first before you tell them what's really interesting? Please do. Uh, I I understand. I I won't wish you a happy new year. In fact, I generally started wishing people a happy all the days. Oh, Uh, that's smart. So you you can use that anytime. It sounds like holidays, but it's not about holidays. It's about all the time. If happiness is the problem, then just say all, you know, you don't have to say anything. But... I like also, I can recommend to you, instead of Happy New Year, Happy New York, because you live in New York. So just Happy New York, everybody. Oh, that's good, too. But I like that. Happy all the days. I'm going to start using that today, as a matter of fact. Oh, sure. You can use it every day. (laughs) I can get behind that and feel sincere about it. Appreciated. So uh, anyway, Mike Mike was uh, very generous in being a very interesting subject uh, for me a few years ago. And... um, just to back up a second, uh, I've known Mike for a while now, since like '09 or something. Uh, and when we were talking right before the show started, I was we were brainstorming what we should talk about, and we picked out the topic that I was most uncomfortable about talking about. So I'm just letting you know that this is the co- topic I'm most uncomfortable about talking about, which is probably it's the best. Thank you, Mike. I'm the one getting therapy. Sure, you got it. So Mike was a weekly patient for several months during the summer of 2012. That sounds fair. Um, I had a studio in Bushwick, and I had a few patients. I, at the time, I did not talk about it or say their names because I had that sort of respect for privacy of my patients. But uh, Mike came in every week for a while, uh, free of charge, but just sort of as an experiment because even though I've been a self-proclaimed psychotherapist since 2001 and I've done tons of it on tons of different people, I had never had weekly patients before. So it went on for a few months and um, then I had to give up the studio and um, I'm really glad I had the experience, but I have kind of no interest in repeating it, I think. And a big part of that was actually, which we can get into, but I want to talk about Mike, is the payment part, which is, you know, uh, doing it for free and people not understanding why I was doing it and I'm not understanding. Whatever. I'm really glad I did it. So, um, Mike. Yes. Uh you you remember that. I definitely do. Yeah. Um, should we start by uh, 
what should we do? What's the best way to talk about this? Should I ask you how you felt about it or how you remember it or? Uh, sure. What, whatever question you ask, I'll take it from there. Okay. So what was your impression of it at the time? Uh, well, I think I had just uh, – here. here is why I, I was interested in your services because I have throughout my life gone to diff- a couple different therapists, not constantly, not always, but uh, whenever I've done it, I've always gotten a lot out of it. And I think in like 2010, 2011, I started going to uh, a therapist through my insurance that I had, mm-hmm. and uh, and I enjoyed that. And I got you know a certain number of sessions that I had like a very small copay for that I could do, uh, you know, like 40 weeks out of the year or something. And then my insurance changed, and I had a much more bare bones. Uh, like I could only go to the doctor if my bare bones were exposed and mm-hmm. uh and so they didn't the new insurance that I have didn't cover therapy so I would have had to pay you know like probably thousands of dollars for the same treatment that I was getting which at the time I think you know obviously therapy is not just for I have a problem let me fix it and then stop going to therapy but there are certainly versions of therapy uh, that uh, that do work like that. Like if you're like, I have this particular thing that I want to address and then they help you address it. But then of course there's also sort of more lifelong or just like in general, like, you know, decompressing from the day or the week or addressing like more, you know, sort of inherent uh, things from your life or experiences that aren't easily solvable or or solvable in a short amount of time. But so I remember because I enjoyed the weekly therapy sessions that I'd gone to, uh, I remember it sort of came at, I, I don't remember the exact timing of it, but I now no longer had a therapist, uh, mm-hmm. but enjoyed. So sort of maybe felt like I was, if not missing it, I was like, I liked that. And then you're like, do you want to do it? And I was like, you know, why not give it a shot? Uh, so the no payment thing, while maybe more complicated for you, was certainly a draw for me. <laughs> uh, you know, just as a, because as I understand it, I don't know all of your, uh, you know, educational and, uh, you know, sort of your your resume and such, but you are not, uh, you didn't go to I'm school for, yes. Trained. No. And also, I never charge um, because I don't like to charge because I'm not a licensed shrink. And um, I like to think of it as like an art project. And oh, yeah, that's not part of it. Um, so uh, I don't I don't like chart. I mean, it's it's my my uh, policy not to charge. But what I realized by not charging was that. I felt I felt I felt that the system of therapy is set up as such that it was really hard for me to I had a self-esteem issue because I felt like um why because people still have to come like you drove from Park Slope or something like that. I you did. still show up and stuff like that. And so I started thinking I started feeling like I didn't have the authority or the yeah or whatever it was that I would have liked to have had that you get when you charge people. And I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it was, you know, something that I felt made me feel vulnerable. Well, I think that uh, that makes sense. 
because here's the thing. Obviously, if you if you set up a shingle and said, hey, I am a therapist, come here and pay me money, at some point, there might be some, you know, legal issue with that, depending mm-hmm. on right. what the terminology that you're using is and what you're, you know, offering or promising or what people are coming expecting. Obviously, if you're saying this is, you know, an art piece, a performance art situation, it's also not to say that art isn't worth money as well because certainly as a comedian you know you start when you start out in anything you most likely don't make money for it even to be a doctor even to be a therapist right at when you start out learning then you go you pay money to do it either you know whether it's to, to medical school or to social work school or whether in comedy you're paying your dues or whether you're an artist you know just doing paintings until somebody uh decide you know until you find out sure. a way to get it out there to an audience so at some point you know if you wanted to, uh, if you felt comfortable being uh, putting yourself out there as, you know, I am a performance artist therapist. Like, I put the art in therapist. The letters are in there somewhere. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> uh, and then figure out what the other ones are and make an anagram. But uh, that way, obviously, there would never be any confusion where people would come think. Because obviously, the things that come with being a therapist, there are certain other, like, legal and ethical and uh, moral obligations, like... If somebody came, I don't know if anybody ever came to you that had uh, like a either... serious problem, like with you know, like maybe a substance addiction problem or something like that, or a real which, abuse problem. Yes, yes. which I there have. might be more specific yeah. treatment mm-hmm. that you are not, mm-hmm. you know, uh, trained to address fully in the in the context mm-hmm. of the performance yeah. art therapy session. Well, I make that very clear. Oh, yeah, if definitely. I come across, if I come across that. But see, it's also in the responsibility because it's a lot more fun and I'm a lot freer to say what I want if I'm not charging and saying I'm a legitimate therapist. Oh, definitely. In fact, one of the main differences, I think, between the the sessions that I went to with my, you know, the therapist that I that was paid for. A real for, therapist. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and yours is that uh, at the uh, the not you sessions – I did probably, you know, 90%, some large, the largest percentage of talking, like the super majority. Whereas when I was in your sessions, it was more conversational, like more like this. Like maybe there would be times when I would share uh, what was going on with me and the thing that I wanted to talk about. And that might inspire in you. Uh, not Whereas like the other therapist might have said, oh, okay, w- what about... And then they would ask a very short question, and then I would say a lot more things or think about things. Whereas mm-hmm. you might tell me a story from your life, which is a fine thing for uh, a person mm-hmm. to do, a an artist to do, a performance art therapist to do, but wouldn't happen as much. Like, you know, when you ask a quote-unquote, you know, or not even quote-unquote, a legitimate real therapist right, about right. their life, they mo- most frequently won't. They'll be like, well, why are you asking? Let's get back to you. Like, if you're like, what about your mother, therapist? Well, let's get back to your mother, patient. Well, they're a real blank screen. I mean, you're supposed to, it's, that's, you know, about more transference and, um, you know, projection and counter, you know, it's, it's a different, it's a, it is very different, but, um, also the dynamic of actually approaching, I mean, I learned a lot. I really did. I really learned a lot from that. Also, the dynamic of approaching, you know, what the feeling that you would bring to a therapist that you were paying, say, 150 bucks an hour, 100 bucks an hour, whatever. Um, you approach them. You say you want help. Here's, here's, I'm going to pay you. So then you are in a 
position where you are responsible for what you get out of it in a way. Do you know what I mean? Yes, certainly. Yeah, you have a lot more skin in the game. And I'm not saying that's my projection on what was going on, but um, the dynamic is different, right? Oh, yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, for me, the thing that I did get out of, uh, you know, what I, I don't want to just say hanging out with you, you know, uh, <laughs> is that like the like the reason that I started having a podcast was because sometimes I would go do other people's podcasts before I had a podcast or like do radio shows like this. Mm-hmm. And then I would leave feeling like real good about I was like, that was even if it was people that I didn't know that I had just mm-hmm. met, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people who were other comedians mm-hmm. or fans or radio, mm-hmm. you know, doers, whatever they were. Radio doer. I think that's the technical term. Legitimate radio doer. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> I remember I would I came away thinking like man what a what a great feeling I have like not not that it it was certainly therapeutic in a way because humans are a communal community based right. right. animal and that just that connecting with other people is such a valuable thing even if it's not you know purposely uh, and stru- structured in a way where it's like, I have a problem and you're going to help me solve this problem. Sometimes, like if earlier in the day before the uh, podcast session or what have you, before that conversation, I might have had, you know, if either a problem of being like stressed or worried or anxious about something or hungry or angry or what whatever I was, like afterwards I'd be like, oh, that feeling has basically dissipated because it's my, my consciousness has been filled with uh, has been replenished with this sort of you know uh, communing with humanity, right, 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 and right. so even like worst case scenario, as long as obviously I wasn't coming to you with you know like hey help me with cognitive no. behavioral therapy to <laughs> no. stop biting my nails in my sleep, which and is, frankly yeah. your life was in a pretty great place, still is. You know you've got a good career and you know enough chicks or a chick or whatever, <laughs> you got plenty going on. So it wasn't like you were in, you know, you were in a good place. I mean, everybody yeah. has stress, of course. Certainly. I, I definitely, this is a an analogy uh, that, I, that I've come up with recently to a very old, uh, probably uh, video game that nobody uh, likely mm-hmm. remembers. But there was a video game like that I played growing up sort of either in the arcades or like on an Atari maybe called Jungle Hunt. Mm-hmm. And there was like the first round you would swing on vines like Tarzan and try not to fall and maybe there were snakes. Mm-hmm. And then the second round, this is the relevant one, uh, you were swimming in either the ocean or river and there were alligators or crocodiles and you you would have to try to maintain, you have to be at the top of the water uh, to get make sure that you could breathe. But if an alligator came, you would have to either try to kill it or try to swim out of its way. But if you swam down too far for too long, then you wouldn't have air and you would die. Mm. And that's the way that I conceive of, at least for me, uh, my life is basically, I'm, you know, uh, swimming at the top of the water where I have basically <laughs> what I, I have the oxygen that I need. Every once in a while, there will be, you know, an anxiety sure. in the form of an alligator or whatever that I have to contend with. But I just always I'm, you know, I've I've read a lot and listened to yeah. a lot of things about the the fact that gratitude is a thing that is, you know, powerfully transformative. Absolutely. Into happiness. Absolutely. And, Absolutely, yeah. guys. And, and I'm not saying I'm not saying that because, number one, I some people might think, you know, hey, 
you have more to be grateful. But the thing is that the people who are happy aren't happy because they're they're happy because they're grateful. They're not grateful because they're happy. Like right. because there's right. every we all and I certainly am you know privileged and fortunate in like my upbringing was like I wasn't hungry. I had a house. I had parents who cared for me. Mm-hmm. I which is a thing which are things that a lot of people don't have and sets Absolutely. them off on a path that is much less fortunate than mine. So for certain, I would never tell anybody like, hey, I'm happy, so you can do it too, just <laughs> yeah, as right. easily. Yeah, you have a uh, great perspective. And so I that is another way that I am fortunate that I've been that I've been able to develop this and learn these things. And uh I guess I just wanted to to so the fact is though that we all don't have everything. We all have there's so much more right. that we don't have right. than we do. And obviously right. there's basic levels of human need which are like, you know, if you don't have enough food or shelter or clothing, right. like that's a you're major screwed. that's a major thing that then will impact right. your daily mental and physical health. But once you have all of those things met, then of course there are the ups and downs of daily life and, you know, worrying about the future, but the fact is that uh, you know, sort of research shows that if you have make a certain amount per year uh beyond that you can't get any happier in general right that's true that's true so gratitude is a big thing and i'm glad you brought that up because i want everybody to remember that you're grateful that i brought up gratitude i am actually mike that is well put i'm glad so you know there was just one more thing that i wanted to say that changed that experience i've kept with me and then i want to move on to like uh, to you, Whatever to really happens. on to you. Sure. But um, the one thing that really changed that experience of having you come every week and some other people and having the office, my own therapist's office, which, by the way, I did the sessions lying down like I always do. I think, like, not having the egos meet with eye contact uh, is po- important to me, stuff like that. But the thing that I noticed was the concept of continuing to get the making the making the sessions valuable enough and dealing with people's defenses so that they come back and i realize that's something when people say why aren't you a therapist that's a big reason why i don't like to have to deal with the what it the dealing with the um defenses, egos, everything else, I have none of that responsibility. And I think that's really actually one of the hardest parts of being a real therapist. Certainly. I think that's one reason why most therapists, if not all, probably I'll say I'll say most that I as I understand it, also go to therapy themselves like as have you watched the yeah. show in treatment oh, that was of course. on yeah. like which you know which which was a real fun show everybody if you yeah. want to watch La- it you can well it recommended by a comedian yeah. oh yeah i mean I, <laughs> lots of laughs when that i say good, fun though. i don't mean that for yeah. real but it, it was compelling. like yeah, it was, was well written very com- and so every episode would be one therapy session of one therapist but then every like fifth episode it would be the therapist going to his therapist and that was i think valuable to see uh, because sometimes, you know, in our lives, we, you know, think of, we sort of compartmentalize people mm-hmm. and like, you know, like when you're a kid and you see your teacher at the supermarket and you're like, but you live at the school. Right, right, right. Uh, you don't know that they're right. a human being. Like, you know, right. same thing with your parents, probably. Like, I remember when, you know, when I grew up and my parents became real people to me and, you know, they weren't just like, you know, the all knowing or the all authoritative, right. you know, mom, the great and powerful Oz. I'm like, oh, the curtain back. And now my parents are also humans. And like, you know, it's not like a it's not like a learning competition, but I'm like, oh, now I'm a grown up who knows stuff. 
Uh, and partially, the th- one of the things that I know is that nobody knows all the stuff, including the people yeah, right. who at the beginning were right. responsible for at least seeming to know all the stuff. Disillusioning, mm-hmm. isn't it? I mean, but also sort of empowering and bringing me up to like, oh, like, I mean, for me, uh, I I think my parents did a a great enough job that here's a thing I learned recently from the Talmud mm-hmm. or from a person who told me about a thing from the Talmud mm-hmm. uh, was that there here's a, a method of actually don't know the actual uh, practical application in the Talmud but uh, it's sort of like a Zen koan or a Zen koan of Judaism mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you have in if you have two pockets have in each pocket at all times one piece of paper on one side it oh, says yes. there uh, this world was created for me and the other side it says we are nothing but ash and dust right and so I think I grew up and I don't want to be stereotypical about the way that my sort of you know culturally Jewish like over Jewish like, mother love, son syndrome is that what you're talking about not necessarily exactly <laughs> but just the but, uh, the and my great my grandmother as well but also you know my dad was very like loving and nurturing mm-hmm. and sort of i think in that mm-hmm. in that structure there is a lot of focus on the this world is made for you aspect right. of things which right. is also a very common thing for children in general of all stripes and patterns like where you want to you want children to what what's going on what are we you don't immediately say you are nothing but ash and dust eventually no. you will be returned to the earth and the universe but eventually so the fact that i was built up so much uh, great. uh was you know sort of empowering uh, to learn, to realize and learn, like, oh, yeah, when you get the sort of flip side to that coin, the the great truth that is the opposite of that great truth uh, that, you know, the world is made for you, that also you are, you know, in the grand scheme of space and time, the smallest fraction of the smallest fraction of anything meaningful, but also, of course, meaning is subjective and contextual. So you can, you know, move forward. And that's what enables me to be, you know, to be a comedian where some people are like, oh, isn't it scary? I'm like, well, no, what's the worst that's going to happen? Is I, I, <laughs> I die and suffer like that happens. I mean, that's definitely going to happen in some form or another. It happened earlier in life, in high school. It happens potentially no matter what. Like, you know, you can be as cautious as you want and never live or you can be a little less cautious and then something bad. Bad things happen to good people. There's no such thing as a good person. You know, everybody's just a person. But so in like focusing on the fact that that we are, you know, the, the fact that I am. Ash and dust, like, makes me more, like, able to be, like, able to folk, like, sort of face anything, uh, because, uh, what, you know, what is, what's the worst that's gonna happen is just everything's gonna happen, and eventually I'll be dead, and not to say that I shouldn't do anything, but, uh, for that reason, I'm going to do whatever I can, whatever I want, and whatever I think is, uh, you know, right and good. Well, we, uh, yes, yes, you've got that, you've got that worked out, I can see, I can see that. Uh, and I mean, again, I don't know everything. Oh yeah, and so you the, don't? I think the that and that was the point of this is that I don't know everything. You don't. Learning that my parents didn't learn everything. It wasn't you know disappointing. It was sort of like oh, we are all you Just know every, coping yeah, really. Every human is existing and dealing with the if not the exact same types of things. Like so many people are more similar than you know than you might realize that yeah. there is no great separation. That you know people might find this in their religion as well. Like. When you grow up and you're like, oh, you know, you're a kid, you're like Santa Claus. And some people are like, oh, and then I also, and God, is God like Santa Claus? Like, maybe in some way, and maybe in some way we are all Santa Claus. If we all are giving of gifts to people, happy all the days, et cetera. 
So to get back to where we were, sure. you know, in uh, 2012. So um, uh, you were you were dating somebody. Well, one of the things, and I know you talk about this. So you you um, believe in open relationships, definitely. And at the time, you were dating somebody who had been like a fan, right? You had met them because they oh, yeah. liked your work. That is true. And um, not like a chick that you just randomly met or another comedian. And um, it was a long-distance relationship. At first it was, and then, and, she, yep. And I saw you at QED, what was that, maybe six months ago, three months ago? I don't remember. But you were with this lovely young lady, and uh, I'm hearing now that's the same, the same woman. I realize now... Uh, based on your question from before and now this time frame, they're actually they actually are two different people. Oh, really? But they are both people that started out as fans, started out long distance, and were became successful open relationships. Oh, interesting. So that was yeah. In 2012, I think I probably met this person in the end of two, end of 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she yeah she was at a show and told me that she was a fan and we hit it off. And she lived in Boston, mm-hmm. and I I started out doing comedy in Boston and it's mm-hmm. not a very long drive from New York so I yeah. would frequently go up there to do shows so I made made a lot more plans to do more shows in the meantime like while we were living apart like long distance open relationships make sense right. a lot right uh, and eventually when she she did move to New York because she had actually grown up in this area right uh, and that was her plan and then when we sort of officialized the relationship she said she you know I, I told her I think I'd already told her I loved her she eventually said that back uh, so we definitely cared for each other, but we're still apart. But then when we discussed like living, we never lived together, but when we lived in the same city and were addressed the idea of being in a relationship, I had been in varying degrees heading closer to the ideal form of like whatever open relationship mm-hmm. style I thought was mm-hmm. right for me, which is, mm-hmm. you know, continually shifting and changing possibly. Sure. But I had never had a fully open relationship where both people uh, wanted it. And cared about it and that we could do the things that we wanted. Like I've been in monogamous things where, of course, in every monogamous relationship, there might be people that you're attracted to that you're like, well, I'll forego that because I care about this relationship, this commitment. And when I say that, you know, that I think, as you said, I believe in open relationships for myself and for anyone who wants them. If you don't want one and if monogamy works for you and is right for you and your partner, just I recommend being in a relationship of the style that works for you and your partner or partners. So this woman, uh, I said to her, uh, I want to be, uh, I, you know, for this relationship, I would really like to try, uh, like in a way that I never have before, being in as fully open a relationship as possible. She had, having been a fan, heard me talk about this in my comedy, right, talk about right. it on podcasts. Right. She wasn't surprised by it. It wasn't necessarily a thing that she would have introduced, but because she cares about me and the way that I think and the way that I feel, it wasn't that she was doing a thing that she was completely opposed to. She was like, I love you and I love who you are and, and this make in, in order, let's, let's try it. So but she, she was compromising for you. Uh, I mean, in the beginning, I think that uh, that, might not, that might not be the most unfair or fa- like it, it was definitely a thing where she made the choice. I said to her, I want to be with you in an open relationship. And she would have had the opportunity to say, I either don't want to be with you or yes. And But wait. Yes. In all fairness. Yes. Um, her, her saying, like, she knows that she, she wants to be with you, right? 
and you define the terms. So, in other words, she's there's a really good chance that she's compromising to be with you, no? I mean, there would and be. Yes, a- she's responsible for herself and all that, and maybe. But, I mean, the fact that, I mean, you must consider the idea that she's not 100% in on it. I definitely, I mean, based on, you know, I, the sort of sound bites and snippets that we're sharing now, like what you're saying doesn't sound uh, like unfair or unreasonable, but more than the couple minutes that we're talking about it now, like yeah. the conversations that she and I had were considerably more extensive because that is certainly a thing that I didn't want. I don't want her to be no. doing a thing that she doesn't want to do. Okay, so uh, and so, the, so I'm kind of making um, an assumption that's probably not really true. I mean, I mean you guys probably really, so you really feel, I just want to be clear about this, you really talked about it in detail, right? And uh, you yeah. really got the feeling you were... It sounds like you were very curious and protective of her and wanted to make sure she was into it, right? Uh, and I believe definitely. that. And, okay. and I'll additionally say, like, number one, I think the best way for me now, like the girlfriend that I have now, uh, when she came to me and said that she was a fan, one of the things that she said she was a fan of was my relationship philosophy style. And because she had, my girlfriend currently has been in relationships that are open her whole life, like since oh. her, her first ones in high school. So that is an even more optimal way for me to be sure and know that this girl is not. And, you know, every once in a while, we generally have more of a, you know, do your own thing and don't share everything that you do with other people with each other. But once in a while, she will be like, oh, there was a person I was seeing. Can I tell you about this thing? Or I, you know, had this experience. And so with this girl, I know for sure, with my current girlfriend, like uh, more than 100%, this is what she wants. And with the other girl, there definitely were, like I would go on the podcast Keith and the Girl and tell them about my relationship. And she had, and my girlfriend would listen, the girlfriend at the time. Uh, and Keith, uh, as an example, would be would be like, "Are you sure?" Like, be presenting the same idea that you're that you're yeah, presenting, right, of which course. is a reasonable sure. And in in the interest of you know her feelings and her pr- being protective of her, which is something that I also wanted, but yes. she would listen to those things where I'm saying like. It's also sort of being like it would be paternalistic of me and sort of patronizing and patriarchal and all the PAT things <laughs> of me uh, support everybody on Patreon uh, of, <laughs> of me to be like, I know exactly how you definitely do or should or would or could feel in this situation. So I'm going to put it upon myself to say you can't really want this type of relationship if she is the one saying as a, you know, a human, a feminist, a female, an autonomous individual growing up saying like, we've had a conversation. I wouldn't have been the one to suggest an open relationship, but I know the the reasons make sense. Intellectually, it makes sense. I love you. I love the idea of being with you. Why not try? See how it works. And if it works, then keep doing it. And that's what happened. So it was mm-hmm. more like mm-hmm. wasn't her initial inclination but but when she got into it like she also in that relationship the main difference between that one and the one i'm in now is she wanted it was her idea to have not a don't ask don't tell but have every time one of us did something to share that information to at least share that something had happened like if i went on the road and i hooked up with a new person or an an old girlfriend or just a person a friend anything other people that i know that are in open marriages like it wasn't happening all the time and that was the thing that made her comfortable was to know if she didn't know if she, if we just mm-hmm. had a don't ask don't tell mm-hmm. then she might be 
sitting sort of in worry the whole time. Like, is it happening now? Is it happening now? Now, mm-hmm. now? Like, is it always happening? Mm-hmm. When in fact, maybe it would happen, you know, sometimes a couple times a month, sometimes every couple months. Like, it was never... Uh, a defined thing where I always do something every month or every week. Right, or right. But I would always, whenever it happened, I would come home and I would say something happened with another person and then she had the the freedom and the capacity and in, in the structure of the way things worked with us. She could ask more questions about it, be like, what happened? And then when she did things, she would tell me and I could ask what happened mm-hmm. and then we would be there for each other and love each other and support each other. And so we would know that we weren't, you know, neither of us was leaving the person for the other person like that wasn't how it worked it was just a very cool thing that we both allowed each other uh to you know obviously have attractions and then do with them whatever we wanted so your relationship um with the woman that you're with now <coughs> yes. um well first of all it sounds a lot more organic which is great i mean because she is very naturally that same way yes. which is you know ideal of course i think but you guys don't discuss what happens, or how does it go? Uh, we don't. We have a, our general guideline. Mm-hmm. There's no hard and fast rule, but the general guideline is that we, if not 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 don't ask, don't tell, but if asked, will tell. Like we generally, you know, compartmentalize where you know when mm-hmm. originally we lived apart. She lived in L.A. and I lived mm-hmm. in New York for the first year of our relationship. She has mm-hmm. since moved to New York. So when she lived in L.A. and I lived in New York, uh, you know, I would easy. I would have my life and she would have hers. And mm-hmm. if she was out with somebody for the night, uh, she wouldn't tell me that she was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might, you know, if I couldn't get in touch with her, that's just a normal thing sometimes. Right. And, and vice versa. Now, if I'm on the road and she's at home, it works similarly to that. And mm-hmm. then also, you know, if there there's any way that we can do things where we're considerate of each of sort of just, you know, not wanting to put it in people's faces like, oh, I'm going on a date tonight and you're not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but also uh, there the sort of general exceptions are uh, that we want to over more importantly than not knowing anything. We want to be kind and respectful and caring to each other uh, when that is necessary, which is often, you know, happening all the time naturally, but sometimes specifically, like, there's one time when she was on a date with somebody or maybe out dancing, like, while I was in, I think, you know, New York and she was in L.A., I got a call from her and she was upset uh, because she had had a negative experience, like, some sort of, you know... Yeah, the guy uh, was a douche or... Yeah, something yeah, happened, whatever, something she... Nice. And right. the so the, the fact that she wanted me to be there to listen and be a comforting ear, that trumped the other guideline of I don't want to know about anything and that was completely above and beyond like of course that's what I want I don't want her to sit upset uh, because I'm like nope we've got a rule Uh, right right, because the rule having ironclad rules isn't the basis of how things work they're all it's all based in wanting to care for each other the best that we can Uh, and so yeah so now it's just we generally don't share but the same way that I think, you know, a lot of relationships, like uh, a lot of health, I'd say the healthiest relationships, and I don't want to put anything on anybody, Yeah. but uh, most people, you know, say jealousy is certainly a thing that arises for ev- ev- most people. Most people yeah. experience it. It's a very, ev- it's an evolutionary thing. Sure. It's a biological thing. Uh, and it's not necessarily all encompassing and it doesn't have to be the thing that's in control and in power, uh, of every motivation and action. Uh, but, uh, what is the thing that I want to say? The, uh, don't be just, I am just, lost the thread, but, uh, 
Let's see if I can try to trace it back um, and see. get it. Uh, oh, yeah, I got it. Oh, good. It's that uh, in – when I, I also, here's the thing. I used to be monogamous. Uh, I used to only be in sort of, you know, anywhere from like one year to you know, sometimes six months or sometimes a couple years. Like I was married mostly monogamously. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did uh, a, try to open our relationship sort of at the end of it, sort of, which is, is not necessarily the ideal way to – embark upon an open yes. relationship is to, as sort of like a band-aid for other problems but uh but i also i think that was a, a relevant thing is i was a person who was like i completely i used to just completely want to be with only one person and i know now for me i'm like that well that's what society said that's what my parents said that's what it's sort of what you know either explicitly right. or implicitly that's the message that's out there and then my wife was actually the first person that introduced the concept of polyamory, the word, to me and the idea. And when she introduced it, I was like, no, thanks. That's not really – that's not for mm-hmm. me. But eventually mm-hmm. through, like, thinking about it, learning more, talking about it with friends, like listening to Dan Savage's podcast or reading his mm-hmm. column, which I sort of started to do in my 20s. And he be- that became, like, a very influential uh, thing in my thought process on the subject. And so I became – the same way that my that girlfriend a couple of years ago – went from a person who wanted monogamy to a person who was in an open relationship, I did the same thing myself. Like I did, I wasn't, I didn't coerce myself. I didn't, Mm -hmm. I don't want to coerce anybody else. But if we have a conversation about it uh, or a series of conversations, it can definitely, your, your views can grow and change and shift and you can, uh, you know, Everybody sure. has first has no experience and then has some experience and then has more experience. So uh, depending what happens along the way. But so when I was monogamous, I remember I wasn't the kind of person who if my my girlfriend told me, oh, I used to date this guy and here's a story about my ex. I wouldn't be mad at the guy. I wouldn't be jealous right. of past things. Uh, and I think that most people re- won't reasonably unless somebody is bringing up their exes all the time. But just like, oh. My ex and I had a funny thing happen here. Let me tell you about that thing. Uh, in most, norm- in most, I'd say, I, I don't want to say normal, but in most relationships, that's sort of a standard thing that can happen. This person is part of your life from the past. You can't white, you're, you are who you are be- in part because of the relationships that you had. Like you are the kind of, you know, caring person or loving person or lover because of all of the loving experiences so- that you've had in the past. So I'm not jealous of anybody that my girlfriend dated before me. Uh, and similarly... I'm not jealous of if she tells me, oh, I was seeing a guy last year while we were together and this funny thing happened. For me, those occupy the same spaces in my brain as if she told me about a guy that was together with her before we were together. Right. Well, it sounds like you have a good sense, a really solid sense of trust, which is like the key to, I think, any decent relationship. So how is the relationship? How how long has she been living in New York? How is it going? Uh, It's great. Uh, She's been, she moved here. We drove across country together. Like I flew out there and we drove together starting, I think, the end of June. Mm -hmm. And we got here, I think, right, maybe like the very, like the last couple days of June. So Mm -hmm. all of, from the second half of 2015 uh, through now. So she's been here a little over six months. Oh, good. uh, And, you know, there were certainly, having lived her whole life in California, Mm -hmm. uh, having, you know, friends and job and family and everything that she knew in her life uh, there. And how how old is she? uh, She is 25. Right, yeah. So 
it's been, it was initially, you know, an adjustment to have to look for new job, new mm-hmm. friends, new, mm-hmm. you know, new and life. what does she do? Uh, she is a violinist and violin teacher. Wow. Among other, other things that she does here and there, but, you know. People re- play violin here, though. Oh, definitely. Yeah, she, there's and now, a lot of violin players that want to get better and learn. Oh, yeah, she's one of them. If there are people who want somebody to play the violin for them and, <laughs> and or want to learn how to play the violin yourself, <laughs> uh, feel free to reach out through this to me, and uh, I'll connect you. I would love I'll to hear you. her play. Does she play out anywhere? Or? Uh, she, I think, will be doing that more this year for sure. And for now, she has a SoundCloud. Uh, if you guys, oh, okay. if anyone wants to check and out, you're musical. Yeah. So do oh, you yeah. guys do stuff together like that? We do sometimes. Like we have not mm-hmm. recorded and released anything that mm-hmm. we've done, but we definitely play things together. We oh, nice. we make things. That's really nice. That's um, really awesome. But yeah, if you go to so yeah. things things are good. Yes, uh, I mean in general, like the same way that uh, there are always ups and downs, and everybody's ups yeah. and downs are different, but. Uh, yeah, in general, uh, I I love her and care about her and trust her and uh, want her and am with her. And, you know, she moved across the country uh, right, right, right. to live with right. me, which I also would have done that to live with her. And maybe at some point we'll live in L.A. together. But, yeah, uh, right now we live together in Brooklyn uh, so and are very happy. do you think that maybe – Poly, do you call it polyamory uh, or open we don't. relationship? Polyamory, maybe in a certain way, because you know we all know like monogamy is unnatural, right? Uh, definitely, there are uh, certainly scientific endeavors to de- that can demonstrate that it, humans in general are not lifelong monogamous creatures. Uh, even people who you know, if you're in a mon- in a monogamous marriage for fifty years, most marriages that last the longest do endure some at least one or both partners being unfaithful in some way, which you know is just a very common human yeah. thing, common animal, natural well, thing. And then other people who say I'm monogamous, but I'm with you know a different partner every several years. That is also not monogamous over the long term. So. Yeah, for what I mean, whatever natural it goes means. Against, it goes against what cavemen would do, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, but by, I mean, I I think we all, I think you need to, like I address it in the sense that I assume that my husband is attracted to other women or, you know, looks at, I mean, but I for me, uh, in m- the way I live, it's just too complicated to, it's not worth the energy. I mean, you sure. guys have, or it, you're able to make that work. But do you think that maybe um, it's kind of eventually going to be the future of what people are going to do? I mean, well, do I think th- we're heading that way. I think that we have been there forever because, and that it will, human nature will continue to be human nature. And perhaps the shapings and structures and namings and labels and categories like are now shifting that. It used to be, you know, say in, you know, the 50s or before or, how, you know, just a couple hundred years ago, men own, you know, more, more likely, more at least practically speaking, you know, women didn't make money. So and right, when a man true. gave a woman that's when he married true. her, it was like a shifting of property where she used to belong to her father right. and then a dowry happens and now she belongs and he gives her his name because that's his uh, and so it's only recently that I mean, and it didn't used to be that marriage was for love. It, I mean, it was very common that 
people knew all the time that, oh, you love somebody, but that doesn't mean you marry them. There were all kinds of like, you know, family relationships, like marital relationships, business relationships, and then romantic relationships. And they were so it's it's sort of been this way forever. Like I'm I'm not doing anything that's brand new other than applying, you know, what I think is reasonable for me to like the landscape and the context that we have now. But yeah, I I do think that more people are understanding uh, and learning like our culture was very, you know, the same way that, you know, 50 years ago, there were only three TV channels and people were like, this is the way that you are. And that if you were like, oh, gay or uh, trans or kinky mm-hmm. or anything mm-hmm. that wasn't represented by the mainstream, mm-hmm. which was all there was, then you might have felt very alone, like pre-internet, right, right. pre. And uh, and so obviously there's a lot of progress being made uh, along the lines of everybody learning that there are so many different ways to be and you have hopefully more and more choice of how to be so would you would you like do you guys ever swing say or does that like you know do you think about being with other people or trading or do you think it opens is that like a, a whole area that's not part of having how do, does that not even fit in uh it definitely i mean that's a reasonable question we have thought we have talked about like having a threesome right. uh with another girl probably uh because mm-hmm. i am attracted generally speaking to uh, female identified people mm-hmm. and uh, but also I mean I'm open to other types of experiences and have been with other types of people mm-hmm. uh, and my girlfriend is also uh, a- attracted to uh, females as well oh, as males that so that would be a thing That's that an... I probably that will happen at some point but it's not uh, necessarily part of the picture oh it, it's not required all. I mean it's basically just that we we are each individuals mm-hmm. and we each have our individual lives and we can do what we want and we want each other to do what we want uh and then so yeah basically you so there's a there's so many ways like there's only generally speaking on a broad level structurally there's one basic way to be monogamous like you can maybe people have different ideas of like oh it's it's is it okay to flirt of course like some people are like of course and some people are like no that's cheating or some people are i've been in relationships where it was like monogamous except like if somebody gets drunk at a bar and makes out with a stranger like that's not a huge deal like you know these different sort of stepping stones along the way but sometimes people are like monogamy means just you and me we're the only people that do things we love each other we only have sex with each other and but even then you know love is such a a diffuse thing that you know there's different kinds of love you love your family you love your friends mm-hmm. like you could mm-hmm. have i have friends who have you know uh, say platonic but sort of romantic-ish platonic relationships people who are you can love a person romantically but not be sexually involved with them uh, right. but, and so in the world of open relationships in the, there are so many different ways to be open like they're polyamory I think is the uh, the one that I mean I get I do get asked if I am or labeled as such and it's not a it's not a major issue but i think technically speaking the the form of polyamory there are many forms of polyamory but they usually involve multiple loves like that's sort of what that word and concept generally mm-hmm. means where you might have right. uh, a, right. mar- a married couple where the man uh if it's a man say it's a man and a woman where a man has another girlfriend or boyfriend and the woman has another girlfriend or boyfriend like or partner let's just say yeah there's two partners and then mm-hmm. but then it could also polyamory could also be a triad where three people are together uh, all together, or it, so it could be a V, a triad. It could be uh, that you know a larger group of people. It could be you know multiple, you know not like a harem, but that that one person could have multiple relationships. One person could not. Uh, whereas for us, we have like the bond that I have with my girlfriend 
is, you know, the, uh, the, some would say the primary, uh, like the primary right. relationship. And, and then beyond that, uh, there are other things that are, quote unquote, not primary, which there's also a concept called relationship anarchy, which uh, <laughs> which is uh, that sounds a, like now I'm interested in that. I mean, that that is one where which just sort of I think makes a lot of sense as a concept because it's it's honestly just all about how oh you don't have to have a primary relationship you don't have to say that one person is higher up in the hierarchy than somebody it's just the same way that in your friendships you could have a best friend but you could also have a ton of best friends or cer- certain people that you I always go bowling with this person I always mm-hmm. play mahjong with this person mm-hmm. I'm my grandmother mm-hmm. yeah I always like talk about my problems with this person I always listen to this person's problems and so there are so many like nobody says okay well so that's your secondary friend that's your tertiary friend in friendship like you're just like no these are just all my friends like i love them they're all my friends and so relationship anarchy is like that but for relationships where you just say oh i have this relationship with this person and i have this each relationship is its own ideal as i understand it this thing i've only this whole thing is really unlimitless isn't mike can you believe we only have nine minutes left uh i mean i believe you but it is it didn't go things have been flying by i want to make sure that we get to everything sure we we have it all summed up well like so i want to know um, what I'm trying to do is think through how we can make sure that people get, um, you know, I like to give out advice or something. Oh, sure. And so, like, do you think this – you were married also, right? I was. And so in our last eight minutes now, I just want to get the point across, like, what you're – since you're, you've had this experience and it seems like a really positive one for you, it also seems like, you know – the way you are naturally and the way your girlfriend is naturally, it works. You guys are, it, it works really well. Definitely. Not every, it's not for, it, even though people want to do it, it might not be, you, you have to have it really uh, integrated into who you are. But um, so if you could just, um, I think what would be really interesting is just to like, since you were married and since you're, you're in this kind of relationship now, um, what do you think? If you could take what the most important areas of a relationship, like trust or sex or companionship, what do you think, um, like what maybe went didn't work out in your marriage and what's working out for you now? Like, just tell us, like, what the hell to do? What's good? What's a good thing? What are good values in a relationship? What's important to you? Sure. Uh, well, I think that there's two different questions, and I'll try to answer them it both as are. briefly as possible. Uh-huh. One, I think the before I get to my specific marriage and what didn't work, uh, my advice in general for relationships and for career and for everything basically is to love yourself. Number starting from loving yourself, like there definitely there's no magic answer that makes. Everybody get exactly what they want. Uh, But if everybody, you know, you have goals, it's good to love yourself for who you are now and then strive to become the person that you more want to be. Mm -hmm. If there are ways that you wish that you Mm -hmm. weren't like there's, you know, there's some things that are in your control and there's some things that aren't. And for the ones that hopefully try to figure out which ones you can. Mm -hmm. Uh, But my girlfriend actually had a thing in a class once where the teacher at the beginning of the year uh, or I don't know if it was immediately, whatever it was, the teacher said, write down a list of who you want your 
your ideal like your ideal person to be like every characteristic how would you describe your ideal person like what do they what do mm-hmm. they do what do they love mm-hmm. how do they act and then when they finished writing the list the teacher said now you be that person be the kind of person <laughs> right. that you would fall in love with act like that and be that person and then there's again there's no guarantee that like every person gets a person but the worst thing that happens if you love yourself and do the things that you want and be the best person that you are I don't think you'll get to the end of your life having not ever had the exact relationship that you want and think oh man I love myself for nothing <laughs> I think well that it, it will be its own reward for mm-hmm. me in my marriage uh, my, my wife was the first person that I'd ever wanted to be with for longer than a year so that was I was mm-hmm. young and you were young right I, was, I married when 20? I was 25 I met yeah. her when she was when we were 24 ish Mm -hmm. and I mean so that's I guess my main advice is like you don't uh, statistically speaking marriages that start younger don't last as long because the people aren't as knowledgeable about you can't have had as many relationships you can't have had as much experience in life learning becoming who you're going to be Uh, so I think that just expectations are uh, you know you, you like for me when I got married at that time I was like oh I want to be with somebody longer than a year. I guess that's what marriage is about. I have wait. I have a thought um, about what you were saying about your upbringing, about how your parent, how this might connect. Your parents um, made you feel like you know really empowered or whatever. Growing up, right? Yes. So, do you think? And now, of course, you know, which is a great foundation. But obviously, you know, you're you like things. You know, things get fucked up. We You learn that the hard way, right? Sure. So your expectations have changed. But do you think the, the person who, um, you know, felt, you know, empowered by your family was the person that got married, and now you're more the person who understands how life is a lot more complicated than you thought originally? Do you think uh, that's, that changed? Definitely. Uh, that, do you think that, that, that's a big difference? That sounds like a very apt uh, assessment. I Yeah, I would say that for sure. I mean, not even just my parents, but life in general, like culture, you know, teachers, society, uh, they, that was the the reason that I thought that getting married was the thing to do was because it was sort of le- I was led to believe that it was the thing to do. Like I took on like society's uh, desires, and now, like right now, I don't have a specific desire mm-hmm. to get married or not to get married. Like if I if my girlfriend wanted to get married, which she doesn't, uh, mm-hmm. then then I wouldn't have a problem with that because there's obviously many benefits that marriage confers, Mm -hmm. like makes it a lot simpler to visit each other in the hospital and make sure that if you, if one of you dies, then the other one gets your stuff or, you know, (laughs) tax benefits or health care. Children is a big Uh, one. Oh, yeah. If you You guys talk, yeah, yeah, do you want to have children? We most, uh, mostly don't. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very recently, like, yeah, yeah, that was another thing that, I mean, that was the reason that the good open relationship from 2012 ended was because that partner she wanted to have children several much sooner than I did, and I wasn't sure that I wanted to have them at all, and so that didn't make sense. That That's the thing. Uh, the one, I guess, final point I'll make about why uh, in that relationship, I, why in any relationship, I think it's important to have, if you know what's important to you mm-hmm. and the other person knows what's important to them and they don't match up, like, it doesn't mm-hmm. mean uh, that, you know, one person is sure. compromising or coercing or, like... If if for me for some people it's like I'm I want to have kids and if somebody's like I definitely don't mm-hmm. then it would be a compromise to say but I love you so much that I'll be with you like maybe if you 
you can make that decision if you're like, well, I love you, so whatever I do with you, even if you want kids and I didn't think that I wanted that, and maybe they end up loving loving having kids, maybe they don't, or maybe they say, well, no, it's too strong for me, I don't want to. Best case scenario is like, and the same thing is true of, of non-monogamy, of like, if you want kids and the other one doesn't, if you want monogamy and the yeah. other one doesn't, like, those are pretty big things that are difficult to compromise. But, uh, yeah, and people change a lot. That's oh, yeah. the other thing. Yes, my girlfriend did say to me for the first time recently, like she when initially she she has been very like on the same don't want kids train of thought as I have been on for recent years. She said to me, she's like, I don't want to have this affect mm-hmm. the major scope of the future of a relationship. But can I talk well, to you? you? And I was like, that sounds like a a big way to introduce a not a big deal. But uh, but she said she's you know. It's possible that at some point she will want kids, but right now she doesn't, and I don't, and so we're fine for now. That's great news. So we have one minute left, so let's plug something of yours. How about your um, podcast, which is awesome? Yeah, that'd be – it's called or, Hang Out With Me. Uh-huh. It's on the Keith and the Girl Network, so just go to keithandthegirl.com slash hang. And you have a show coming up in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. Uh, in uh, It's at, just outside in uh, Sunnyvale, I believe is the name of the town. It's called The Club is Rooster Tea Feathers. I'll be there the last weekend in January. And then all my uh, other shows and dates and things will be usually um, when I put them up on my website, which is MikeKaplan.com, spelled M-Y-Q-K-A-P-L-A-N dot C-O-M. And you can see a special that I've put out on Netflix oh, and yeah. all kinds of other things through through that website. Yeah, and I think I... Dr. Lisa gives a shit. Dr. Lisa gives a shit. Dr. Lisa gives a shit about-